I have a couple things I want to say. Um, I think I'll start with this one. So I got to have a phone call. Actually, I was second in line for this phone call. I was pretty upset about it because uh, I should be first. Um, but uh, we got a call, and Asa Howard wanted to talk to Sully first. And so he called and talked to Sully to tell him that he asked Jesus to save him that night. Asa is so excited for me to tell him to stand up and wave. Every, I'm kidding. He, I won't do it, Asa. I won't. <laughs> he shook his head violently. Um, I'm just so thankful for what God is doing in our church. Because we're getting to see Christ saving children inside of their families' homes. But these are parents that are discipling their children and talking about Christ at home. Do you know that that was the design all along? That parents would talk to their children about who Jesus is? That parents would be a part of their child's spiritual formation? And that there's no greater thing that you could possibly be a part of in a child's life than getting to share Christ with your child. This is awesome. And this is showing that uh, what what's God's doing through our church, what God's doing in our children's ministry, which I'm so excited for because these kids are hearing things that are making them walk home and say, what does this mean? And then parents are getting to answer those wonderful, great questions. And I love that so much. Okay, next announcement. We do have uh, planned a mother's breakfast tea. This is going to be on February 12th at 9 a.m. in the fellowship building. Moms, come enjoy tea time with your kids and a time of fellowship with other moms. And you can start signing up this week. So if you want to come and have some tea, have some uh, uh, time together, some fellowship, uh, I'm kind of disappointed I'm not invited, but that's okay. I'm excited for you guys. That'll That'll be great. Uh, make sure you sign up online for that because that's going to be very exciting. Um, I think I want to start here. Uh, we have a, a running joke at my house. Anybody ever have a hard time finding something when it's right in front of your face? Anybody ever struggle with that? Anyone? Who in here, when your spouse moves your, moves your thing, it's no longer visible? It can be moved three inches over and it's gone, right? Completely and utterly invisible. Okay, we're, we're there. Um, who in here... Have, this is for husbands, and this is if you're brave enough to raise your hand. Who in here, your spouse, your wife's uh, purse is a bottomless pit? Anybody have one of those? <laughs> Where they're like Mary Poppins, a whole lamp could come out and you wouldn't be surprised. And you're like, yeah, it makes sense. I get it. It's a different dimension in there. I don't know. Uh, Ashley, whenever she puts the keys to the car in her purse, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. And she laughs and thinks it's funny how much I hate it. But literally, they'll be in there. I just cannot find them. I'll shake the purse and hear them jingle. Nowhere. No idea where they are. I don't understand this. I think she has secret pockets. I think she hides it from me. And then she'll literally, what she'll do, not even looking, she'll just go, thoop, thoop, there's the keys. I'm like, that's not possible. It makes me so frustrated. We're going to be studying today about uh, Peter's first sermon. We'll talk about this in a minute, but... He's talking to a bunch of Jewish people coming in for Pentecost, right? So they're coming in for this major celebration right after Passover, celebrating God's provision. And he's, they're, they're all together. And these people did not see Christ for who he was. Now, it's not that they didn't see Christ. He was very apparent to all of the Jewish people, right? He was all over the place. Everybody was talking about Jesus. They just couldn't see him in his own word, Right? The Old Testament constantly talked about who Jesus was and uh, how he's going to come and things about him. And they had every reason to see him. But just like me looking for my wife's keys, they just didn't see it. They were blind to who he was. 
I, uh, so this is the very first, I've titled this one, The First Christian Sermon. This is part one. I'm not getting through all of it in one time uh, because it would just, there's, there's too much. But we're going to do the first part of this today. And it made me think through uh, my first sermons back uh, 2002-ish. I started, uh, I was an intern and I was uh, speaking uh, pretty regularly in my youth group. And um, I, I, I still have those, uh, for the record. I have some of these, uh, not all of them, but some of them, uh, some of my first ones that I wrote. And uh, I, let, I once let a friend look through them, right? So I just handed the box and he was like, oh, okay. He started to So he thought it'd be funny to read some of them out loud. And as he read them out loud, he just sat there and laughed. And I was very offended. <laughs> my first sermons were terrible. <laughs> they were awful. They were not good. Uh, I'm not saying these are much better, but I'm telling you, they, they, they were bad before. <laughs> they, uh, there, there's stuff in there that was just uh, not good. And so I, I won't make that mistake again. None of you can read them. Um, but today we're going to study about the very first Christian sermon to ever be given. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, brings this message. And it's not at all what most of us would have chosen to say to grow a church. See, I love this because most of the time, whenever you read uh, books on how to grow your church, how to make it bigger, there's all kinds of things they'll give you. You know what the one thing they don't say is? Just do whatever the Bible says and let God give growth. Because the thing is, is that what the Bible says and the, the experience we see in the Bible typically is counterintuitive to growth. If I was a group of 120 people, which, well, you know, it's, it, that's an okay church, but they wanted to get bigger. They wanted to grow. They wanted to, to, to do this stuff. If they wanted to be successful, I think the first sermon might have been something like, come and let us make you feel better. That I, there would have been food, right? Certainly food and some all kinds of stuff. There would have been some uh, very, very good, uh, lots of stuff, right? And instead, it's just one guy that walks out and preaches against the people he's talking to calling, blaming all of them, we'll see in the, a couple of weeks, blaming them for the death of Christ, putting the wrath of God on them and saying, not only you're responsible for every other sin, but you also crucified Jesus. Who in here thinks that's a great way to grow a church? And yet what happens at the end of the sermon? Over 3,000 people accept Christ. You know Why? Because God knows better than we do. All right, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 14. I'm going to read the first couple of verses, 14 and 15. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. All right, let's pause and walk through this just for a second. So this is uh, Peter's first sermon. Who, who in here thinks that Peter was just so comfortable uh, walking forward? Now, filled with the Spirit, I'm sure he knew what he needed to do. I don't think there was any chance he could have not spoken this message. I don't think he could have not done it. Um, I, I'm, I'm certain of that. But I think that he was uh, certainly nervous, don't you? Walking forward, knowing the message that he's being given by the Holy Spirit and that he's going to be telling them all about the Christ that they rejected. But he is obeying Jesus' last command to him. You find this in John 21, 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
I wonder at that moment when Peter is talking with the ascended Christ, or not the ascended Christ, the resurrected Christ. I wonder if he understood how he would be feeding Christ's sheep or even who they would be. I wonder if Peter's sitting there thinking, okay, I, I know Jesus used a lot of shepherd analogies, so I'm sure he's probably not talking about sheep he's going to give, not like actual physical sheep. Uh, this is probably not who he's calling me to, but what does he mean feed them? And who are these sheep going to be? Well, here at the first sermon at Pentecost, we get the very first experience of Peter walking out and feeding the sheep, even though they weren't sheep yet, right? Feeding the first would-be sheep. These were lost people and they were be 3,000 become sheep in one day. So he said to lift it up his voice. This is a, a phrase there. It's actually one Greek word. It means to increase the volume at which one speaks so as to overcome existing noise or the speech of someone else. Anybody in here have families that try to talk over one another? <laughs> that works well, right? It's funny. Our family devotion, our little devotion last night was about this. Uh, and we talked about using gentle and kind words because some of us struggle. Um, <laughs> They get it all from Ashley's side. They're the loud ones. <laughs> Ashley's not here, so I can say all these things. This is great. <laughs> yeah, but my, my children certainly have the cook volume. I'll just say that. It's, uh, we, we definitely can struggle with talking over each other and stuff like this. And here's Peter walking out, and there's a whole crowd talking. Some of them saying, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. Some of them still murmuring about how in the world am I hearing them in my language? What's going on? And then a large group saying, these are just drunk Galileans. Peter had to speak over them and probably because they're calling them drunks. The spirit moved him to silence those that would disregard God's words. Even though it would have been easier for him to ignore them. You know what the easiest thing for Peter to have done would have been? Told the 120, hey, they're just calling us drunks and they don't like this anyways. Let's just go back inside. Wouldn't that have been easier? Wouldn't that have been so much simpler? The crowds would have dissipated. They would have walked away all thinking those crazy people in that room, whatever they were doing, I'm not in. They could have felt comfortable and happy with their current 120 and said, let's just grow in our love for each other. But instead, the Holy Spirit called him to silence those who would disregard God's word. Talk over them. Tell them, hey, stop talking and listen. Not to me, because Peter's not the one who had the words to say. Listen to what the Lord is saying. It says he addressed them. I like this because this is the same word that is translated utterance. In verse four of chapter two, when the church was speaking in other languages. So he's using this important word to say he's saying something very important. And he says, give ear to my words. This means to listen carefully and pay attention. Do we struggle, struggle to do this with God's word today? Do we struggle to listen to it and pay attention to it and act on it? I think saying amen is far easier than changing. Anybody else agree with that? Anybody ever said amen to something you heard in a message that didn't change a single thing in your life? I have. There were good words. There were things I should have done. There were clear actions to take moving forward and I just didn't because it's so much easier to raise my hand. Amen. Anybody ever raise your hands to a part of a song that you're like, man, this feels so good, but you don't actually live it out when you go out the doors? It says, give ear to my words. Do something about it. 
This doesn't mean stop saying amen, please. When you hear something that's important, but don't forget to act on it when you leave the building. He goes on and says, but these people aren't drunk, as you suppose, since this is only the third hour of the day. So this is not that it would be uncommon for a first century, Jew, first century Jewish man to be drunk or to become drunk, especially around the holidays. Um, some of you guys went to family get-togethers where there were some people who got drunk and you're like, wow, this is okay. What was very uncommon would be for this to happen at nine o'clock in the morning, right? So Peter's saying, this is nine in the morning. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. The word suppose, I want to talk about this just for a second before we move on to the, the prophecy in Joel. So the word suppose means to regard something as presumably true, but without particular certainty. Has anyone in here ever made an assumption? Anybody ever made assumptions? Have you ever made a bad assumption? Anybody ever said yes, sir, and then drive around to the, pool, the window and you found out not a sir? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Ooh, this was bad. I, I, I'm going to, but we're just going to. Uh, anybody ever ask somebody when they're due? That's a mistake you will never make twice. Anybody ever tell somebody they look just like their mother only to find out that they, uh, that, that wasn't what they wanted to hear or their father? We find this struggle in the very first Christian sermon, right? It's filled with a bunch of people who had assumptions right away. It was people that walked in a room with a point of view, a perspective, and a belief that was already held in certainty, even though they didn't really understand the facts, right? These people gathered at Pentecost thinking Jesus was a sham. These people are loons and that they have nothing good to give us. And Peter calls them out. You're making assumptions that you know nothing about. So pause your mouth and listen. Let's go to verse 16. Uh, yeah, verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. All right, so I want to stop there and then I'm going to read a little bit more. So Joel, you can find him in the Old Testament. He's one of the minor prophets. We don't know much about this prophet. He could have been anyone. We know, that he, we know him and we know his father's name, but that is it. He could have been lots of different Joels uh, during a, a couple, hundred, uh, time, couple hundred year time period. But what's important is that he was not who was important. It doesn't matter that we don't know exactly who Joel was. It's the prophecy that was so much more important than him. So this is, can be found in Joel 2, 28 through 32, if you ever want to cross-reference this with what's written in Acts. For us, this is evidence that God's plan was, to, was revealed to the Israelites hundreds of years before he sent Christ. You see, the Israelites, they looked forward to the day of the Lord. They, they talked about it a lot. They would talk about the day of the Lord. And they'd say, oh, we can't wait for the day of the Lord to come. Even though some of the prophets really warned them. Amos himself said, you need to fear the day of the Lord. The reason they wanted the day of the Lord uh, to come is they thought this is when he would judge all the other nations and tell Israel, hey, rule them all. He thought that he was going to raise, they thought that he was going to raise Israel up to be the king of the nations. They as a nation would rule all the other nations. All the other nations would be judged for all their just being terrible people, how awful they are. It's just like many of them who began following Jesus only to turn away, right? Even the apostles struggled to grasp the day of the Lord. 
and they didn't understand how it didn't include Israel at the top. You remember at, uh, in Acts at the beginning, it's kind of funny. I had that, uh, that thought that I think Jesus had to do the, the, the face palm whenever the, the disciples, and then he's about to go up to heaven. They're like, hey, hey wait, uh, so is this the time that Israel's going to be back to, uh, yeah, we're, we're in charge now? And Jesus is like, stop asking about questions that you can't know the answers to. <laughs> they, they couldn't separate this. So they thought the day of the Lord was going to be judgment just for other nations. And it's going to be a great day for Israel. So that's why they looked forward to this. But this is going to talk differently about the day of the Lord. So this is from Joel. And I'm going to start reading again in verse 17. We'll read all of it and walk through it a little bit. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when we read last days, a lot of times what people will think of is Christ's return. So if you like to study Revelation or Daniel or some of the other apocalyptic um, parts of the Bible, what you'll think of last days, Jesus comes back into the end of this world as we know it. But the last days technically started at Pentecost. Did you know that? They started here when the Holy Spirit was poured out from this, from that point until now, we have been living in the last days. We are in the last movement of what God has done to save the world, to redeem the world, the last act he's going to do until he returns. So we are in these last days. And he says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. This does not mean that all people will be saved, through, uh, saved by receiving and being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. It means that all types of people will receive the spirit in this new covenant. Even people we wouldn't choose. Is there anybody in here that is hard for you? Maybe they're not in this room. Maybe they are. Hard for you to pray that the Spirit would do good things for? Oh, you guys are way better people than I am. I have people that are hard for me. People that are hard for me to pray for the Spirit to do something good in. Are there, is there anybody that's hard for you to pray that Jesus would save? During the struggle that we've had with wars, was it hard to pray for our enemies? Is that what we should have been doing? How much, I, I, nah, I don't want to get off my notes. I think we can struggle to pray for people that God wants us to pray for. I think we can struggle for the salvation of people that we feel like don't deserve it. When I got a secret, we don't deserve it, right? Not a single one of us deserves with a gift that Christ has given. And yet we have the audacity to say they're not worth my prayers. And this is what the people of Israel really felt. They thought salvation is ours. Now, some proselytes from other nations, they can come and live our ways, but they're still going to be outsiders. They might get to go to heaven because they follow the law of Moses, but they're not one of us. And what Jesus is saying in this new covenant, there's not going to be a one of us thing anymore. In Galatians, we see there's not going to be uh, uh, Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female, but all one in Christ, right? So what we're getting to see is suddenly all those things that divided us mean nothing compared to what unifies us. And that's Jesus Christ. He says, your, daughter, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And word prophesy, prophesy means to speak under the influence of divine inspiration, 
What's amazing about this is not that it will happen, but who will be doing it? So we're about to walk through a bunch of people that we wouldn't pick, right? Anybody ever not got picked for a team? Anybody tried out for a sports team and didn't get picked? That's character development. I'm with you. Happened to me a lot. So not the distinguished leaders of this time. Isn't this crazy? So you had lots of distinguished, upstanding, middle-aged men that were present at Pentecost. Staying there ready just to teach and lead and go. They're probably leaders in their hometowns. And this first group of people that the Spirit is going to use, according to Joel, is not them, but their sons. These young men who could easily be written off as immature or fanatical. God will use them to speak to the church. Is that not amazing? The sons. He says, first of all, your sons and your daughters. So let's talk about this. The, these sons. The one, who in here has a son who has something good to say? Who in here has a son who has a lot to say? Hmm. Imagine God showing up and giving this prophecy through Joel to us at this time. Hey, all of you fathers, sit down. Your sons have something to speak. And it's my words. Is that humbling? Who in here has ever been corrected by your child? Not in a bad way, not in a mean way, but in a real godly way where you knew I was wrong. That's like a couple, every once a week for me, right? Whenever your child says, hey, didn't you tell me not to say that? I'm older. <laughs> I can say things like that. And I think that's the point he's calling them to is these fathers. He's saying these, to these fathers and mothers, humble yourself because you're about to be taught in ways that you've never been prepared for. Also, their daughters. Okay, this would have been unheard of, right? The daughters are going to be the ones prophesying. So not only do you need to sit down for your son, who you're like, okay, well, eventually he was going to lead. Eventually he was going to take my place. No, no, father, sit down and listen as your daughter tells you what the words of God are. This God is using, this is, uh, this is who God is using to bring people his message to his people in the world that so desperately needs him. Now, I want, to, I want us to just pause for a second. So this doesn't, dis- this doesn't change the fact that God did make men and women differently, right? And that there are different roles they're called to, but prophecy has never been something that has been uh, taken away from women. So church, I want us to understand something. We need to hear from our women, our young women, our older women, of what God is doing in their lives. We need to hear stories of how God is working because that is an encouragement to each of us. Then he goes on and he says, your young men shall sing visions. The young man is somebody beyond the age of puberty, but, not no, uh, but normally not ready for marriage. That sounds like it could go all the way up to like 55, doesn't it? Again, a group of people we don't typically sit down to listen to, right? The young, the youth, the ones that are like 15, 16. God says, I'm going to give them visions for the church. These visions, these are an event in which something appears vividly and credibly to the mind, although not actually present, but implying the influence of divine power. God will give these young men the vision for the church and what he would do in it and through it. Are we willing to hear what God is showing our young men? He says, your old men shall dream dreams. I think old's a relative term. 
Um, according to my kids, I'm old, and I don't think so. Um, the, it's funny, uh, in, in New Testament times, just to kind of give a reference here, uh, there's a, we read this recently where um, somebody was healed that was already 40 years old, and I, I, I think I joked about the fact that that's calling that person old. Do you know what the average lifespan was for somebody in uh, New Testament times? 41. <laughs> average lifespan in New Testament, 41 years old. Jesus, how old was he when he died? 33. So he got to just before a normal time of death. So it's all about perspective, right? So a 41-year-old would have been an old man at this time. I'm nowhere near that. Um, Your old men shall dream dreams. This means to experience dreams having the significance of visions. We don't tend to only write off the young, do we? But also the old. And this is why the church must be multi-generational. The church must include children and parents and grandparents and praise God, great grandparents, right? Because this is when, this is how this has always been. In fact, you can't live out Titus where Titus says, Hey, women who are older, teach younger women how to be what they are called to be as wives and as women. How does that happen if there are no older women in the church? How does that happen if there are no younger women in a church? It can't. The church literally cannot live out what God has called it to be if it's not represented by every possible generation. God is going to give dreams of his work uh, in the church to old men. Are we going to hear what God is showing them? And I, I think that even though women in this part, especially older women, are not particularly mentioned But I think that we can look at scripture and say we need more Priscilla's, right? So Priscilla and Aquila sat down with Apollos, who was a gifted teacher, but didn't understand theology very well. And the two of them together as a great couple sat and taught him how to better teach. We need more people like Timothy's mother and grandmother who raised him up in his faith. And Timothy became one of the the earliest church pastors and leaders to lead the, the church in Ephesus and other churches. We need this. Let's go on to the the strange people that God will call. Even on my male servants and female servants. So not only is God going to gift sons and daughters to prophesy, he's also going to give this gift to the servants of their houses. This is not what most of us would want to hear. Who in here struggles hearing from people you feel like should be listening to you? Oh, we have people that are dishonest today. Who in here struggles listening to someone that you think should be listening to you? All of us. Guess what all of these people thought about their servants? Should their servants be teaching them? Absolutely not. Quietly do your job. And yet God says, no, 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 no. That servant that you've disregarded for all these years is going to teach you my words. He and she are going to prophesy the words of God, prophesy that what the Spirit is doing inside of their lives. In other words, when I ask that question, are you arrogant? And I'll be honest, my answer to that question is yes, I struggle with that all the time. God is going to speak to his church through people that I don't feel like I should have to listen to. So we have a choice. Will we listen? And he talks about the, that he's going to show wonders in the heavens and on the, uh, above and on the signs on the earth below. 
These wonders are an unusual sign, especially one in the heavens, serving to foretell an uh, impending events. Signs are an event which is regarded as having some special meaning. We can see Jesus talking about this in Luke 21, 25 through 28. And there will be signs in the in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because redemption is drawing near. So this passage begins with the last days in general. So the time that we've been living in, but then now it's particularly uh, focusing on um, the, the day of the Lord when Christ will return. You see, the day of the Lord is not what these people expected. It was far more incredible and far more terrifying. You want to know why? At the day of the Lord, he is going to judge each and every person. Whether you are from the nation of Israel, if you're a born Jewish person, or you are a Gentile in the flesh, good, bad, wherever you are from, you are going to be judged on the day of the Lord based on one thing. Are you righteous? And by righteous, I mean sin free. Raise your hand in this room if on your own you can answer yes to that question. Not I've done more good than bad, which I don't even think most of us would be able to claim that. Not are you a decent person? Not are you better than your neighbor? Are you sin free? And the only way to answer yes to that question is if Jesus Christ has put his sin free life on you. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. The purpose of this prophecy is to call humanity to salvation. Peter, I want you to think about this. He's, he's possibly speaking to some of the very people who are present right before Passover where G, where, and were part of the crowd shouting and chanting, crucify him. I wonder if he recognized any faces. Looked down and saw somebody who was red faced and screaming, give us Barabbas. Would that stop you? These very people, he's calling them to repentance and belief in Christ as Savior and Lord. What's the mission of the church today? To tell people that Jesus Christ came to save lost people. Are you doing anything to accomplish it? Are you sharing the gospel with anyone? I want to say this. Start in your home. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren need to hear you talking about Christ. Because if it's odd for them to hear you speak a word about Jesus anywhere but inside of this building, faith is going to be very fake to them. And I'm saying this because this is something I'm struggling through myself. I am walking through this now, trying my best to figure out what this looks like to disciple my children because it's hard. But you haven't missed your chance. Start now. Start in your home making conversations about Christ normal. And that will help you to become salt and light at work because if you're willing to walk with your kids through a, a, a devotion time or a story of the Bible or just pray with them each and every day, that will give you boldness to learn how to talk to somebody when you're at work with them. The day of the Lord is still coming. Jesus will return. 
And when he does, our chance at sharing that gospel story is done. Does that make sense? There is a finite amount of time that we have to share the gospel with others. When Jesus comes back, the earth will be destroyed in fire. And everyone who does not believe in him will not have another chance. So why do we act like there's no urgency? Why do we act like everything else is so much more important? Why do we waste our time doing everything but telling our family, our friends, and our coworkers about Christ when that is the one thing we have a, a definite ending time for? Does anybody know when Christ is coming back? Can you tell me? What if it's tomorrow and you never, ever spoke to your child about Christ? Never, ever spoke to your parents about Christ. Never, ever lived your faith out at work. Wouldn't that seem a little ridiculous on the other side of heaven? Man, I was chasing everything else except for something that would make an eternal difference. I want you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I have a few questions just from this passage from Joel that we see in Acts, from this prophecy. First of all, I want to ask you this. Are you willing to hear from God? And it's easy if it's a, yes, I'll read my Bible. Yes, I'll listen to the Sunday school teacher I, I like or life group leader that I enjoy. But will you listen to God even if it's from someone you normally wouldn't want to listen to? Or do you have arrogance in your heart in this area? If you do, will you confess that this morning? Will you repent of it this morning? Are you willing to speak when God leads you to? Our church will be edified by the stories of what he's doing in your life. We need to hear from our sons and our daughters and our old men and those who think they aren't good enough to speak because they're a lower class. We need your stories of the spirit working in your life. Are you willing to speak when the spirit calls? Are you sharing the gospel with your family, with your friends and at work? And lastly, I have to ask this, are you prepared for the day of the Lord? If it was tomorrow and you stood before judgment and you're asked, are you sin free? What is your answer? If it's anything other than I am sin free because the blood of Jesus Christ covers every sin I've ever done. If you have any other answer, it is incomplete. And I'm begging you this morning to make that right. He is faithful to save all who would call on him. And it just means surrendering to the true king of the world. You aren't king. You aren't queen. It does not belong to you. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And he is offering you a gift of salvation and a gift of adoption into his family. It does take humility because you have to admit you are not good. But if you can come to him and say, God, I'm not good. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve forgiveness at all because I've, I will continue doing wrong. But please save me and make me into what I need to be. He is faithful to save. And I beg you this morning that you would surrender to him. Christ, I pray that you call us each to you this morning. Lord, that we'd be a people who would listen to you, even if it's from mouths of people we would normally choose not to listen to. 
Jesus, I pray that you would give us, uh, help us to be a people who are speaking where your spirit leads and not remaining silent because we think, ah, oh, it's, it's not for me. Because we are edified as a church when we hear your work among your people. Lord, let us be a people who are sharing the gospel because our world needs it. Lord, our families need it. Our children need to hear the gospel in our homes. Help us to teach your word. But Lord, our friends also need it. Our other families members need your word, need you as savior. And Lord, certainly the people we work with and hang out with need to know who you are. And they're never gonna know you if we keep living as if we don't. Christ, I pray if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you as their Savior, as their Lord, that your spirit would draw them in a way they can't resist. And they would surrender to you this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Please stand, respond, however God leads you.